Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we, we praise you that we can trust in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus because it is enough. It is more than enough, Father. Would we not trust in anything else? And as we come to your word now, would we be strengthened? Would we be humbled before you? And would we go out able to live for your praise and glory? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do grab a seat. We're going to be reading from Titus uh, chapter 2. You can find that on page 1199. 1199. Give you a moment to turn there, and we'll be reading from chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. Let me say that um, this is one, one little dip into, into Titus for this week, um, this week only. Titus is a, a letter written by St. Paul to a, a pastor, Titus, um, and its real concern is that the church that Titus is the leader of would be spiritually healthy, that it would continue to, to grow and to live, um, to live out the gospel. And these little verses, these four or five verses that we're going to look at, are really the heart um, of how that is going to happen um, uh, in, this, in this little church. So Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 11 on 1199. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority do not let anyone despise you. Let me ask you, what is the one thing you can't say no to? What's the one thing you can't say no to? I'm not, I'm not so much thinking in the, in the category of cake or chocolate, although that's maybe immediately where your mind uh, went. I'm thinking a bit, more, a bit more in your character. What's the thing you really can't say no to? When the opportunity arises, it's almost impossible to say no. Maybe, um, maybe it's grumbling. Maybe when life doesn't quite go your way, you just can't help but, but quietly tell everyone um, why life has been harsh on you and, 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 and sit in, in self-pity. Maybe it's, maybe it's sexual temptation. Maybe it's the things we just can't stop doing or looking at. Maybe you can't say no to other people. Maybe you're constantly trying to please other people. And that's exhausting. Whether, um, whether you'd call yourself a Christian or not uh, here this morning, we all have things that we'd love to be able to say no to. Maybe things you've always scr- struggled with. I wonder what it is um, for you. Just hold it in your mind. We all want, don't we, the power to say no to those things. It's not just, um, not just in the Bible that talks about um, saying no uh, to things. The world gets it too. Steve Jobs of um, Apple finding fame uh, once said this, it's only by saying no that you can concentrate on the things that are really important. 
It's only by saying no that you can concentrate on the things that are really important. Now, Steve Jobs, he was talking about um, in the context of efficiency and creativity. But the same is true morally um, as well. We need to be able to say no. But often we find we can't. Most of the time, um, I guess we can, we can kid ourselves into thinking we are in control. Um, that even in the sin that we find hard, we're, we're, we're still in control. Until, of course, we're confronted the with the reality that we cannot um, so often uh, say no. One, one example that brought this starkly home to me recently was um, when um, Ryan Giggs was on trial um, recently. It's been, it's been um, the, the trial's been, I think it'll be, it'll be, it's not been thrown out, but it'll, he's going to be retried um, for assault on his, on his girlfriend. And as they were sort of trying to, um, trying to understand the dynamic, um, his dynamic in, in their relationship, and I, I don't use him, I don't sort of hold him out to sort of condemn him, but it was, it was interesting what he said. Um, the, the prosecution lawyer um, asked him this. He said, you've had relationships with many women. Have you managed to be faithful to any of them? Kig said, no. The lawyer continued, if a woman shows interest in you, are you able to resist? Giggs said, no. Now, he, he's standing there in a court of law and is confronted with the fact that he cannot say no. I guess maybe the examples in our lives may be less extreme than that, but if we were confronted with it, someone asked us a question in a court of law, what's the one thing we could not say no to? Our passage um, today tells us that God's grace gives us the power to say no. And that is a key part of the gospel. The gospel is not just that we are saved from the punishment for our sin, although it is that, but we are saved too from the power that sin has over us so that we are able to say no to ungodliness and yes to living like Jesus. That's what we're going to see um, as we follow these verses through. Two, two big points and then one big implication. We'll see firstly that grace teaches you to say no to ungodliness. Secondly, that Jesus died to make you godly. And then the big implication, um, we must be godly. Firstly then, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Let me read again verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Jesus has come. He is God's undeserved kindness to the world. And that grace in Jesus is offered to all people, not just the outwardly good, not those who meet some moral standards, but all people. And it's that grace, the grace that saves us, that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. What sort of teaching is it? It's not the sort of, um, I don't know what experience of teachers you've had, this is not the sort of teaching that stand at the front and bark instructions at people. Um, or sort of crush them into submission uh, until they do uh, what you say. No, it's teaching in the sense of getting alongside, ongoing um, instruction. 
It's the coach that, that gets alongside and, and says, no, not like that, but like this. No, not like that, but like this. Example from my own um, household recently is um, uh, trying to teach a toddler how to dress themselves. Um, socks. Socks is the, is, is, is the big sticking point in our household at the minute. It's quite tricky when you stop and think about it to put on your own socks. Now, each of us do it, presumably, most days without really thinking. But unless someone sits down and teaches you, no, it's like this. You've got you to turn it so the heel bit is facing the right way. You've got to stick your foot in the right way. You, you don't put it on your head. You don't turn it inside out. No, you, you, you do it like this. And time and again, a toddler needs someone to say, no, not like that, but like this. No, not like that, but like this. Until eventually, hopefully, in God's <laughs> kindness, one day they're able to do it uh, for themselves. <coughs> it's that sense of teaching. God's grace t- teaches us saying, no, not like that, but like this. No, not like that. Not, not um, snapping at someone when they get in your way, but bearing with one another. No, not, not lying to cover up uh, your mistakes, but speaking the truth and owning up to the consequences of it. Not like that, but like this. Godliness is not top of the world's to-do list, is it? We might be wondering, why would I want to live a godly life? Maybe it, it, it sounds stuffy and self-restricted to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. But let me be clear, this, the Bible is not talking about legalism, is it? This is not try harder to be good, follow the rules, and God may be kind to you. It's not that. It's God's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's his kindness in reaching down to us and pulling us up. That is motivation for godliness. And actually, it is the best way to live, isn't it? It's, it's the world we all want. We would love our communities to be shaped by godliness. We'd love our workplaces to be shaped by godliness. We'd love to be able to say um, no to the ungodliness of um, of. Of a harsh boss. If we've got a harsh boss and, and you just think, I, I want to get my own back, I want to do something that, that brings them down, well, that, the whole workplace is just miserable, isn't it? Everyone's walking around on eggshells and, and miserable. No, saying no to ungodliness and yes to living like Jesus is, well, it's, maybe it's I, I get on with my work and I seek to look out for others. And maybe eventually it will mean um, reporting my boss to his superior her superior, but it's not in order to get revenge or to get one over on them. It's for the good of others. Our workplaces would be better if they were shaped by um, godliness. So to our homes, if instead of at the, at, at the, first, um, the first time that someone does something that's not exactly what I want them to do, instead of getting angry, well, I'd be able to be patient and kind. We'd want that for our homes, wouldn't we? It is better, godliness, it's always better for those around us. It's better now, and Paul says it's better in the future. Look down again at verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says, be godly now. Encourage people to be godly now, waiting as they wait for Jesus to appear. Because when he does, none of us will regret 
having said no to ungodliness. How is that possible? How is it possible to say no to ungodliness and to live for Jesus? Well, it's possible because Jesus has died to make us godly. Verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Do you see there? Jesus is our great God and Savior. He is perfectly good, just, and righteous. And he wants to make us more like him. That's his aim. He saves us from our ungodliness, rescuing us from hell, and giving us a place in his kingdom. And Jesus has done everything to make that possible. It's not that he starts it and we finish it off. He's done it all. Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness. There we were, slaves to our sin, powerless to say no. And yet he bought us back by dying for us so that we are not enslaved to our sin anymore. That is what Jesus' death and resurrection have done for you if you trust in him. Salvation is never just a, a ticket to heaven, but it is a changed life. It is the power to say no to ungodliness and yes to living like Jesus. Verse 14, Jesus Christ gave himself to purify for himself a people that are his very own. The world doesn't really like purity either. If it doesn't like godliness, it certainly doesn't like purity. But here it is a glorious thing. Do you see? To be washed clean and made ready to belong to Jesus. And just look again. See how deeply personal it is what Jesus does here. Verse 14, Jesus gave himself to purify for himself a people who are his very own. Jesus washes you clean and makes you ready to be his, to belong to him. It's like, um, imagine a, a master furniture restorer. Don't know if you watch Repair Shop and when they, they, someone brings in a battered old thing that you think, may I throw that in the bin. And yet the, the, the experts lovingly, carefully restore it. It's like that with us. Jesus buys us back when we were ready for nothing but, but the scrap heap. He brings us into his workshop and he slowly works on us, knocking off the rough edges and, and smoothing us down and giving us a new coat of varnish and making us beautiful, ready to be his, ready um, to, to take pride of place in his kingdom, ready to be useful for his purposes, ready to bring him glory as the one who redeems us, buys us back and restores us so that we might bring him glory. That is an extraordinary privilege, isn't it? Do you know that this morning? If, if you belong to Jesus, you are his. You are his very own. He bought you. He is at work in you to make you more like him for his glory. It's extraordinary, isn't it? What a privilege to think that that was Jesus' intention as he went to the cross. If I can put it like this, when Jesus was going to the cross, he was thinking about your godliness, the change that he would bring about in your life 
through his grace. And of course, if we get that, if we get the, the, the scale of that, then we'll want to live differently. Godliness won't just be something we're, uh, that's sort of demanded of us. It'll be something we'll be, in Paul's words, eager to do. You'll want to, to respond to insult or hardship or suffering in a way that will bring Jesus glory. The implication for us is obvious, isn't it? If, um, if grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness, and if Jesus died to make you godly, then the implication is an obvious one. We must be godly. We must allow God's grace to teach us to say no to ungodliness. We must allow Jesus' death for us to motivate that change in our hearts. And that is what Paul urges Timothy to teach the church. Verse 15. These things, these then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. See, these things might not be popular, but that is what Titus is to teach to his congregation. And there's two ways um, that can go. There's rebuke and encouragement. See that in that verse? Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let's Let's do the rebuke first. If we're to be godly, we've got to get going. We've got to start somewhere. Some of us um, this morning, we, we may just feel it's too much effort to seek to say no to ungodliness. We're just too lazy to say no. We, we, we can't quite be bothered. But do you see, if that's, if that's true of, of you, you're missing out on a key part of what Jesus has redeemed you for. And just, in some sense, stopping others from, from seeing the gospel lived out in your lives. And you, you don't want to do that. But some of us, probably, we're, we're not lazy. We're just a bit scared. We're scared of the consequences of living differently. Scared of living distinctively at work because of the impact it might have on, on career or on relationships. We're scared of, uh, to change ungodly habits at home. We're scared of, of trying and, and messing up, failing. Well, can you see from these verses that Jesus is much bigger than your fears? He is our great God and Savior. He is able to keep you, and he is worthy of all of your life, even the bits that are hard to change. His grace is able to teach you to say no to ungodliness, that's the rebuke. But there's also encouragement here, isn't there? Many of us will, um, will be doing this already. We'll be working hard. We'll be striving for godliness. We'll be allowing God's grace to teach us to say no to ungodliness. But it's hard. And maybe, maybe you're weary um, this morning. It's costly. And maybe you're not tempted to give up on Christ, but you're just tempted to give up on godliness because it's too hard. Well, there's, the encouragement is here, isn't it? Keep going. Godliness is what Jesus has redeemed you for. He died so that you can be godly, so don't give up. As you, as you strive to be more like Jesus, you are living out the gospel. And in ways that you, you probably can't even see or imagine, you are showing to others the difference that the gospel makes so that they might see the glory of the Lord Jesus too. 
wherever we are this morning, whether, whether we need to hear the rebuke or the encouragement, here's one very practical way um, of, of applying uh, these things. The next time you face that thing that you just can't say no to, the next time you face it, why not um, say to yourself, maybe even out loud, I'm gonna say no to ungodliness. God's grace is teaching me to say no to ungodliness. Imagine for a second as we, as we close, imagine if we all lived like that. Imagine the impact that that would have on our homes, on our workplaces, on our communities, if each of us determined to say no to ungodliness, not in our own strength, but because of God's grace to us, because he died to make us godly. Imagine what God might do, how he might use us for his glory. Should we pray together for God's strength to do that? Heavenly Father, we we praise you for your grace, your very great grace to us, grace that redeems us from death, from sin, from all wickedness. Father, we praise you that that same grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and instead to live upright, self-controlled and godly lives. Father, please would we be those who live that out, who day by day are allowing your grace to teach us to say no to ungodliness. Father, would we do that so that you might be honored, so that others might see the difference that the gospel makes, and ultimately so that the Lord Jesus might be glorified as the one who takes um, broken and uh, messy sinners and makes them like him for his glory. We pray in his precious name. Amen.